Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul. And welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Dental Amigos, the only podcast co-hosted by a dentist and a lawyer. Yeah, definitely. My grandma said I was special, and she was right. (laughs) I am. That you were special in this way, too. Uh, today, we're joined by uh, Jason Deshays, a seasoned certified public accountant with more than 17 years of experience providing tax, accounting, and consulting services to individuals, dental and medical practices, and closely held businesses. Jason leads the accounting advisory team in Elliott Davis's Raleigh, North Carolina office, and he's also a leader within that firm's dental practice. His areas of specialty include outsourced accounting, business accounting and financial consulting, succession planning, individual financial consulting, charitable gift planning, and personal and business income tax. And prior to joining Elliott Davis, Jason was a senior manager in the firm services team for the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants. And he also previously served as vice president and partner of Butler & Company CPAs and Albuquerque, New Mexico-based accounting firm. I promise everyone listening that we will not be talking about the tax code <laughs> during the show, Paul. Write-offs? I want to know about write-offs. Unless you want to, Paul. <laughs> yeah. uh, and instead, though, we're going to talk about uh, best practices for financial due diligence and a dental practice acquisition, as well as some areas where dentists go wrong with, uh, with that due diligence. And now, without further ado, here's Jason Deshays. Welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I'm excited to, to have this uh, conversation with you guys. Yeah, Awesome, Jason. And uh, we start with the hard-hitting questions. Uh, you know, you're down. Uh, where, if we went out for nachos where you are, you know, where would we go? What's your favorite place? And uh, what uh, topping would you order? And since you're an accountant, can we write them off? Is that, I'll go with that. Uh, I thought we were going to talk about taxes here, man. Like, I was really not ready for that. But um, so, you know, being a relatively new transplant to North Carolina, uh, we just moved here about a year ago. I'm still used to New Mexico spice. So I'm my favorite topping when I was in Albuquerque was adding green chili, uh, which adds a lot of flavor and a lot of heat to, to nachos. Um, haven't found that here. Uh, here there's more of a... T- uh, rub for like barbecue pork nachos which gotcha. is really good so i've i've enjoyed that here um and uh but i always have red and green chili at my heart so. i like that Spice. new mexico is one of my favorite places in the country too and when I, the first time i was there it was like you go out for breakfast and the question paul is red or green oh really you know, like red or green yeah red or green oh, you know, I like that. chili you know <laughs> and uh I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of the food there but yeah so that's interesting so you go from really kind of like the the cream of the crop in in new mexico when it comes to nachos to a very different style so barbecue is kind of the thing there well that's cool that's the the fusion right of uh southern barbecue and nachos yeah but we but nachos are definitely a thing so we uh and my kids and my wife 
absolutely love them. So it's a regular common thing in our family. Well, not just thanks you for the support. I represent them, and uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Goodman is not paid for that endorsement. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, Jason, you know, before we get into some of the other, uh, the, uh, the less important topics, uh, you used to be a, uh, have a radio show. Is that right? I, I did. So Tell us about back it. Back in 2008 or so, we had, a, um, we had a talk radio show, a financial talk radio show on the largest uh, talk radio station in New Mexico. And it was every Sunday, live, I think it was from 5 to 6. And we had a whole host of different topics. Uh, it was it was fun. We did it with a group of um, Christian financial advisors. So we had different things. We get nonprofits in, which would be great, and and talk about kind of how people manage their money. I will say I got a lot of this was I had the face for radio and the voice for newspaper. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that's changed at all in 10 years, but yeah, it was a really cool experience to to talk with a whole bunch of different people about their ex- areas of expertise, and it's kind of just like what you guys are doing. A uh, great way to kind of dive into some topics that you don't necessarily have to be 100% versed in, but you get a good exposure to it and really uh, helps you just develop a better understanding of business and, and money and everything. Yeah, cool. I, I feel the same way. It's, uh, it's, it's neat to, to talk to different people and to see what other people are doing and how they think and kind of how they came at the, the same place, even if you're in the same industry. We're all coming, mm-hmm. come, coming to it from, from different places as the dentist, the lawyer, and the, and the CPA on the, you know, in the podcast right now. Hey, uh, so tell us, uh, Jason, a little bit more about uh, what you and your, your firm do for, uh, for dentists. Well, Elliott Davis is uh, one of the larger public accounting firms in the country, and we're, our geographic footprint is mostly in the southeast, but we've got clients all over the country. Um, we do have a dental niche, so we have a group of a team, which I'm a part of, that we focus entirely on dental. Um, it could be a range of services from tax and tax advisory, so consulting and planning, through we, uh, a lot of what I focus on is on the outsource role where we act as their financial back office for you know, one dentist practices all up to uh, many DSOs that are outsourcing that component because as it's not an easy thing to staff and find the right mix of people because generally you end up with, you know, you need a 10% CFO, a 20% controller, and a 50% um, staff person, but you can't hire for that for a fee that anyone would ever accept as um, an employee. So it's a great way of getting really connected with our um, our dentists and uh, it's just been a it's been a fascinating place to be in and really get deep with some of our clients. Not just talking about the financial part of things, but we do do a lot of the due diligence. We uh, help them as they expand, and we talk about well, what is the time they bring on an associate. What does that model look like financially? And because um, it usually comes out of their pocket first, and then they have got to work into what that's going what they have to produce and what they have to collect on. And it's really a, a, an honor to be a part of that because it's a very sensitive area of people's lives and they need someone they can trust that can kind of walk alongside them with that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and on the show here, Paul and I, obviously we've had accountants on and we work with accountants on a, on a regular basis. And I, uh, I'm a huge fan of, of, of CPAs and, and what you guys do. And it really is just the, the most integral role in most practice transitions and really any decision as you said you know we've talked about Mm -hmm. the importance of cash flow analysis on this show in the context of evaluating uh, a practice evaluating a buy-in 
evaluating whether to hire an associate, whether to drop uh, an insurance plan. It's just that's a, a recurring theme for us that, you know, and everybody that's listening, they're going to hear it again. You know, that yeah. it's just it's crucial to to have uh, this information and to do that due diligence before you make a decision, because otherwise it's just like picking what's behind door number two. And, you know, you may or may not like the surprise that comes after. It's also mm-hmm. like, Jason, it's important, I would say, that you want to pay someone to, that you can run by, does this make sense? Or, you know, hire someone to say, you know, have you lost your nachos? Am I going to burn your nachos? One time this um, uh, handsome, energetic dentist came in to one of his advisors, like, I'm going to purchase this fixer-upper practice in one of the cooler neighborhoods <laughs> in Philadelphia, and I want to do it, and I, you know, this is, you know, I can do it, I'm, I'm you know, practice number five. This is five. A, very, a very handsome yeah, dentist, very handsome, right? And yeah. uh, funny, too. And, uh, funny. you know, I said, uh, I want to do this. I can build it up. All the things that, you know, like, you know, like you don't want to, you know, crush someone's dreams. But then uh, somebody said to me, uh, that was me in the story, you know, this doesn't really make sense. So you're looking at it the right way. It's going to be a lot of energy. That area is probably not going to transform overnight. And that, that was Rob. And I'm just lucky because, you know, that one conversation, you know, really prevented me from going off and, and sort of wasting a lot of time, energy and effort. And uh, that's why it's just so valuable to to have those people in your on on your team. Well, and you're you've mentioned this before on the podcast, Paul. You you're you're kind of married to these things, so it's just not easy to walk away from them once you embark down that path. And you you purchase it. You usually have a loan attached to it. There's people now who you're supporting their lifestyle. You just can't say, well, that didn't work, and then just yeah, walk. Yeah, totally. Um, can't return a practice. Uh, if, you, if you could, I would have returned some. But, you know, they don't take them back. It's not Nordstrom, right? You know, so uh, that's so important. You know, these things are you get intertwined with, uh, and you can't unintertwine yourself easily. So it's just important to say, do you want to keep taking these steps down this path? And I, I just think dentistry needs more of that message, to, especially to dental students, so that they think that it's, you know, a normal part of their growth process. Mm-hmm. So Jason, tell us, uh, how did you, uh, how'd you get into the dental world? So we, my old practice in Albuquerque, we had a number of medical practitioners and dentists and, and those types, and we spent a lot of time in there. And um, they were always an area I appreciated working with because they, um, they had complexity. They usually would have uh, resources because they were high earners, and so they could do things that would enable us to make some interesting planning rather than just the same old, well, just change your withholding and, and go from there. Uh, and they really did not have the same business acumen, so they needed the help of someone who could coach them through things in their businesses uh, because they were trained to be dentists or urologists or whatever the case may be, and that's what they had the knowledge in. They, they weren't trained in business. They didn't have MBAs or, or accounting degrees or whatever. Um, and so what happened is after we sold the practice and I had all this built-up knowledge, when um, I ended up coming to Elliott Davis and we had a need within our department to have some more advisory knowledge and really kind of focus in on a space, the dental space was just a logical one because there's so much opportunity in there right now with the change in practices and there's I have a heart for helping young dentists and practitioners who are trying to find their way in life and figure out how to buy practices and, and start them off right because if they if they get set up correctly uh, and there's a lot of time spent on that front end making sure the system is built well they have such much better outcomes and I always like to be able to help facilitate that so I got excited when they needed uh, 
was kind of aligned with where we we're going to drive our practice, and this was a no-brainer for me. So it's been it's been a blast, and uh, it's been really fun interacting with you know dentists throughout the country. Uh, we've got folks in San Francisco and Denver and uh, New Mexico. Actually, it was funny when I saw that on there when I came over. Oh, look! I know where they are. You know, uh, <laughs> that was back uh, back in back just down the street from my old house. So yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I have similar observations and experiences for me too, and I, I agree that you know, it's it's working with dentists. Really, it's it's the opportunity we have the opportunity as professionals to support them and really add value uh, to to the transactions and to their businesses and really give advice that is impactful. And you can kind of see that you know it's different if you're representing big companies and you know private equity groups, and it's sort of like what the work that you do for those types of clients just sort of just disappears into the ether. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can really uh, there's a, a direct you know connection, and, and you can see the the outcomes uh, when when you're working with somebody who is uh, you know, a dental practice owner or somebody owns a, a group of small group of practices mm-hmm. that you can make a difference. And you know, professionally, that's you know that's really fun. Well, and you know this, Rob. Like you're not just dealing with a practice owner; you're dealing with a family, and you see the dynamics there, and you're helping them through that. And you know, I've been doing this long enough where I've seen kids born and grown, go through college and start their own lives, and and that's a blessing to be that because you really are having multi generational impact because this these practices feed future generations too, and so that's. It's uh, it's important to have the right person on there, and and a lot of I know a lot of CPAs or professionals will say, oh yeah, we we have dentists, yeah, you know that's that's true. They have dentists as clients, but they treat them very generalist. They're very, you know, what they are. It's just another tax return that gets done, and and this is I think when your dental focus is a very different model of how you interact with your with your client base and everything. I think it's so true, and you know it's sometimes when you know we're we're talking to potential clients or giving a seminar or somebody will say, well, uh, there's no such thing as a dental CPA. There's no such thing as a dental, dental attorney. And like, well, yeah, you're right. You know, you know, strictly speaking, but I think what, what you just said is, you know, it's an excellent point, Jason, that the more experience you have, you know, in the, in the industry and the more things you see and the more reps that you get, it's just the better advice that you can give your clients and you can help mm-hmm. them, you know, put them in the position to succeed because, you know, it, it, most things in life, you know, you learn from your failures. And I think a lot of times what we do as professionals that support dentists, you know, CPAs and, and lawyers is we can kind of help clients learn from somebody else's failures so that they don't have mm-hmm. to go through those yeah, right. those same failures. And, you know, it's like if we do 100 deals, acquisitions this year, you know, everyone's going to be a little bit different. And everyone, it's yep. just it's just one more one more experience that, that you have that if you don't do that uh, day in, day out, it's just a different level of service. I mean, as I say, you know, to, uh, to the younger attorneys here that are, that are coming up through the ranks, it's like, the actual legal work that we do here, and we're not putting people on the moon with any of this, right. you know. Uh, but you know, we have the the benefit of experience and seeing, you know, how all this works out, how it how it fits together, problems that arise to to help people avoid that, and that's really you know for us and 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 you too, I'm sure that's really the secret sauce, and that that is what makes a dental CPA or a dental lawyer and why there's value in that. And so, you know, a lot of times if I have a new client, I'll say, you know, who are you working with for a CPA? 
and they'll tell me. And if it's somebody I know of, I'll say, great. And if it's somebody I've never heard of, I'll say, well, tell me a little bit more about that right. person. And they say, well, you know, they do, uh, they do have dental clients. And I said, does that mean that they do tax returns for dentists? Yeah. Yeah. They do tax returns for dentists. I said, well, that's not really somebody that can help you with the due diligence to buy your practice just because they've done some tax returns. I also can give mm-hmm. you and Rob some insider information if you want to seem cool on the streets talking to dentists, because what's interesting is, you know, you're most likely dealing with a general dentist. I know you deal with specialists occasionally. And, you know, I, I do my own, I do my own verbal frequently asked questions of why people would want to ha- uh, hire a broker to sell their practice versus try to sell it on their own. And I was just doing this yesterday with a prospective seller. You know, why would you want to have a broker and pay a broker just so I can get extra nachos? No, that's not the real reason. But, uh, you know, I would say, you know, I bring a lot of different buyers and, you know, uh, even if you have that one buyer, we've seen scenarios where that one buyer after seven months drops out and then you lost seven months and you want to move in, in a year. So these are the whys, right? And, and you know, if you were, talk, were talking to a dentist, uh, you guys could say, you know, um, I know you're a general dentist, you do crowns, you do implant crowns, you do fillings. But if someone came in and said, I want you to do a retreat on my second molar root canal, would you want to do that? And they would be, oh, of course not. And I mean, that's what you guys are doing all the time. You know the, you know the ins and outs of dealing with this sub-focus of the things that go awry. And uh, I kind of, under, I mean, this is a, it's a bigger picture question for accountants and attorneys, but I don't even know why they would accept doing some of this because I feel like they would have a generalist because they'd have to like read the book on it prior to doing the deal. So, you know, I don't know if that's something you guys could speak about. I'll let Jason take a crack at that first. And I, I have my, my thoughts too. Well, so I think that what happens is there's, there's this, when you're a journalist practice and I've been in that situation long ago in the past, it's what happens is you have to treat everything like they're all similar. So you, you don't take the industry specific elements of it and you kind of look at, well, okay, well, let's see what the tax treatment is. Uh, for the asset allocation, let's do this, and let's we'll do a mild cash flow that just says, can you pay the rent payment uh, for the rent and for the for the practice loan? So you end up just doing something, and it's relatively low risk. And oftentimes, the relationship you have with your client in that situation is very transactional oriented. If you're ever engaged in that process in the first place, sometimes you just get brought to the table at the end, and you're like, well, here, you know, here's my tax stuff. Can you, can you make a tax return for me? And they just do that because that's the mindset. And I say, CPAs, we've historically been very compliance driven. So we're about trying to get returns done or get an audit prepared for you. And, and that's really not what customers look for. They want real advice, me discussions about strategy and business and not just, okay, when's my next tax due date? Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of people who are very comfortable in that space, but they really have no desire to enter that advisory component where they're really coaching them on something, nor do they want to spend the time on the industry. Um, I spend a lot of time in the car because of my commute, but I probably listen to five to eight hours of dental podcasts every week. And so I'm just absorbing information all the time, and that takes – you've got to commit to it. Um, it's hard to do that when you're being a generalist trying to serve everyone relatively blankly the same. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, uh, I, I think that the, why do people even seek those people out? Why would somebody that's a generalist even want to do it, Paul? I mean, I think it's just like if you don't have the sort of the luxury of the specialization yeah. that, that we have and Jason has, you got to pay the bills, you yeah. know? And so these people are happy to take the work on. 
and you know it's a job for them you know gotcha. and uh like i said i mean the actual legal work the actual accounting work none of this is we're not putting people on the moon as right. i said you know and so you can do you can generate a service you know and it's like you know it's like the at&t commercial and it's just okay right it's yeah. good enough right you know but uh, it's not, you know, the uh, the gold standard, you know, as as the uh, as Jeffrey Lurie and used to refer point, to, to know, the Eagles. Well, hopefully, people go back and we appreciate you being a fan and listening from the beginning. But you listen to different guests, and you know they. You know, poignantly say we wish we had this information when, when I wish I had this when I was doing it because there's advisors really missed a lot of red flags along the way mm-hmm. by doing that and it's really not impugning them it's just saying that nobody really saw the red flags the dentist the advisor anyone said go ahead and and acquire this practice and then things really went sideways where if I had seen and I'm not, I'm not you know if I, if I had just been involved in looking at it you know, I'd be like, this one part makes no sense. You know, they they do 50% of their work is ortho and you don't do any ortho. Someone should tell you that you shouldn't do that, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. not that, you know, they make $400,000 a year on a million dollars and their overhead 60%, you know, but uh, their wife does like work that she's not paid for. I mean, I'm just kind of using some examples that might get missed. So, sure. you know. that That's the perfect segue, Paul, to, to some more yeah, substantive perfect. stuff, you know, which is, you know what you're really talking about there paul is is due diligence you know and and i think i'd like to hear you know what jason's thoughts are as far as you know what really are best practices when when uh when it comes to due diligence and due diligence this is absolutely an area where uh a cpa with dental experience who is dental focused adds value that if you know the industry you know what to look for and you can provide a much much uh better service than somebody that is just a a generalist and you know what i say to clients and prospective clients my initial conversations with them when they're talking about a transaction you know they want to know kind of what what they should do now and what's the most important thing and what they should be doing to protect themselves and i say let's make sure you have a good dental focused yeah. cpa kicking the tires here and looking at these numbers and 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 like we can help you with certain due diligence things but the due diligence that matters is not happening in my office right it's yeah. happening in the cpa's office and the difference it's the difference maker the thing the two yeah. examples you just said paul and when yeah. people come to us after the fact and say oh you know i did a bad deal uh it, it's it's always the case that right. either they didn't work with a cpa at all and or they uh they work with somebody that didn't have the the right experience to, to yeah. be able to guide them so you know with that jason tell us uh what are some best practices that uh, our listeners should be aware of when it comes to uh, due diligence for for a dentist that's looking to purchase a practice? Well, one of the key ones is early engagement. Um, That is so important in terms of getting the the dental folks attorney and CPAs engaged early in the process before you get down to, well, here's, we've already negotiated terms and here's what it is, just tell me the pitfalls. There's a way of crafting the deals, understanding what you're getting to well before any legal documents are drafted or any you're too far down where you can't, I think, as you've described before, put the genie back in the bottle, um, that you've already said, oh, we'll do this, and now it turns out that wasn't financially feasible. Uh, It's really critical to get those players engaged very early so that you can help coach that and, and do that analysis on the front end before you get too deep into agreeing to terms and um and really understand what you what you're getting into. 
a lot of that gets down to that, at least from the CPA perspective, is cash flow and understanding where the practice makes money, uh, what kind of insurance mix they have, how much of it's fee for service, you know, what kind of workload everyone's doing. Uh, that's always a big one that I've seen in the, uh, in the transitions is that you've got maybe, I'm going to use uh, Paul's terms, the, uh, the SADs. Yeah, season aged dentists. Yeah, season They they are working three days a week, and they want to sell their practice. And and what happens is they go, oh well, the revenue is low, but I can outgrow that. I can do that real easy. And so they they start not listening to that the math doesn't work, but they're saying that don't worry, I can earn my way out of that problem. <laughs> yeah. And so so we really need you need to understand the makeup of the practice and what the uh, who's doing what there, who's generating revenue and uh, how much work everyone's doing because you may not have a team that can scale up. And then you gotta hire more, which adds more cost. Uh, but all that can be done early if you ask the right questions and get a good sense of what's the what the practice is currently doing and if there's any room for, for negotiating that up uh, by saying, making some operational changes. So I'd say you know, first off is early engagement. Second off is cash flow. I mean, to, to me, that's what you're just talking about is planning. And it's just so crucial. And I think, uh, Paul, you know, and, and I both see this, you know, that there are sometimes people are just overly optimistic of, you know, what they can do. And, and sometimes, you know, you can say, like, I can work more, I can produce more. But, you know, sometimes it's just not possible. Totally. I mean, you know, and then one of the things I can chime in as the uh, I always want to be a commentator, like on sports, and I'm the only dentist here, not trying to brag. But, um, uh, you know, I what what you said, Jason and Rob, and I mean, it's just it's just my insight into living this all the time personally is my, through my own practices and being naive and un- unaware of Rob's terms awareness that dentist who says they can grow a practice like that. There, there's a piece to that that is just not talked about enough. That dentist working three days a week is actually probably doing a great job for what he does, and he knows all the patients. So there's just a process of meeting all those new people and trying to grow a practice that's underperforming. It's just, it's, it's nearly impossible. And uh, I hear dentists saying that all the time because they think, you know, I think they, um, they have a misconception as to what the current dentist is doing, and they kind of, you know, criticize him mentally. Oh, you know, he's not working so hard. But really what he's doing is he's leveraging all the patient relationships he's, he or she has built over all these years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little more complicated than a TV show and HGTV. <laughs> right, you know? yeah. Like, I think people, like, yeah, we're, yes. we're in the world now of people like, yeah, I saw that Fixer Upper show, you know, and I'm just going to, you know, do the dental practice equivalent right, of that, yeah. you know, and, and within, you know, whatever, what do they take, like, three weeks, you know, it goes from, like, some, looks like some, like, shack to like, this place that right, somebody yes. wants to pay a million dollars for it. Like, I'll just do that with my dental practice. And and I think, uh, obviously, uh, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. And as you said, Paul, mm-hmm. there's many other factors you know and i think a lot of people like to to say you know everybody wants to wants a deal you know and so if i can buy something that's underperforming you know for cheap and and turn it around and make it a lot more valuable then that's that's better and but those you know to me i'm curious what your thoughts are jason i almost think i mean that's like a unicorn in in our world you know like you can do it but you know, sometimes it's better instead of trying to hit the grand slam, just to hit a bunch of doubles and hit singles all day. And, you know, by, you know, three or four years in, you may have been better hitting all those singles than, than trying to hit a grand slam once. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one because I've never, 
I can't say I've found terribly many success stories where they took a the shack-like practice and turn it into some glorious palace. It just never works that way because there's too much emotional and physical energy you have to put in, a lot of financial energy uh, into those kind of things that don't produce the kind of results you need for what you could have done had you gotten the, the performing practice that was a little bit more expensive but operated just fine. And you'd have to make minor tweaks to the formula and you get that incremental profitability that really drives much better performance than investing days and weeks and efforts to try and make something work that probably never will work the way that you were dreaming it was going to It's also such an important point, uh, Jason. It's just not a good idea for your first one. And we talk about, you know, if if it's my third or fourth and I want to have this, you know, fixer upper like a real estate project, maybe maybe that makes more sense. We've had Mark Casas on, who's on to like, you know, eight practices. But it's just not, your first one sets the tone for your entire career. And also, Mm -hmm. I mean, Rob and you are, you know, you've chosen to work with dentists. I know you're lucky. But, uh, uh, you know, how many dentists ever own more than one practice in their entire lives? It's a very small number, right? So Mm -hmm. if you live your life in the most, as I say, you know, make your first one, your first thing that you do make total sense. And then you can do your, your fix up dreamer one for the next one. And also another thing, and I'll share this from my own experiences is like, you know, people kind of treat it like real estate, right? But you don't have to live in the house that you're fixing up when you're doing real estate, right? When you're a dentist, you live there in that fixer upper with your emotions, like you said. And that's just something that people don't understand enough of unless they've done it. So talk to someone like a, me or a Mark Hassis or somebody and just just not even from an advice standpoint, just say, what's it like to own more than one practice? And I'll be like, do you have a whole bottle of bourbon? Because we're going to need it, right? So, you know, that's that's just my insight there. Well, and when you think about your real estate analogy, you think about a lot of times in those situations, you are not doing the work yourself to rehab it. It's a fixer-upper, but you're hiring contractors to help do that stuff for you. You're outsourcing a lot of that. And the same thing works in a practice acquisition. Plus, you're also spending a lot of time on the front end because you got to get inspections, appraisals, all these things that you need to do just like you would do in a dental practice requirement. You're going to spend a lot of time on the front end trying to make sure it's right. And then you're still going to probably need some help if you got your fixer-upper from outside sources to make that work because you just can't put the bandwidth in to do it yourself. Totally. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a good point. I think, too, people, to your point, Paul, that, you know, especially with your first practice, if, if you do a bad deal – uh, in your first practice, there's not going to be a second practice right, or yeah. not for a long time. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it's not like uh, you could say like, yeah, this thing is kind of clicking along in a somewhat mediocre way. I haven't been able to turn it around the way I thought it would. So I'm just going to go to the bank now and uh, borrow some more money and uh, buy another practice. Yeah, or, and the, or the bank say, looks at that practice and they're like, well, I, you know what? We're not so sure we want to lend you money for number two because number one's not looking so good. And the uh, such a good point. The other thing is, you know, you do this with a house. Somebody else might see it with big eyes who think they can fix up a house. But with a dental practice, you have to find another licensed dentist to buy it. And whether you use a broker yourself, you always have to explain the why. So if you bought a practice that you didn't like, you're like, could you buy my practice? Uh, why? I hate it. Well, that's not going to be that's not going to be an easy way to sell it. Right. Yeah. So so some people you message me on Facebook. Can I sell the practice I don't like and buy a new one? I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. This is not, you know. Um, uh, a department store. So it's it's just a critical part. And I just, you shared some really good uh, uh, gems there, uh, Jason. I just sorry, I hope our listeners are, are embracing as they go along their practice journey. So Jason, what are, are there any other things that, you know, kind of big picture, best practice uh, items in, in due diligence that, that you can think of? 
Well, you know, I think all, all knowing all the parties in the mix, too, because you've got your, uh, maybe you've got a retiring dentist that is, is, also owns the real estate. And understanding that makeup and knowing who the parties are inside who are related, whether it's a spouse, children, best friends from college, or so-and-so's daughter, understanding those relationships is really critical because you either get to work with them or you get to replace them. And I think that's where uh, I've seen, and, and not just in Dell, but in a lot of any acquisitions, there is if small businesses, is there's these dynamics at work for that practice. And you do need to spend some time getting a lay of that and then tearing it apart and saying, well, okay, well, if I take out these people, does it still work? Mm-hmm. If I take out this arrangement, does it still work? Do I want to have the person I bought the practice from be my landlord for the next 20 years? Um, were they, you know, based on my tone, are they going to be someone who I'm going to like work with or I'm going to be having to bail out of this place relatively quickly and spend more money finding a new, a new home for the practice? So, I, I, you know, you think of that, it's all math, right? You think it's formulaic uh, financial compliance stuff here. There's so much about that relational dynamics and kind of how things fit together that's really important to you on the front end because if you establish that and you're, you have an awareness of that, you accept that you know you you can kind of say yeah I can go with that or not but if you don't do it and you wait till eight months after the deal's done and you gotta go rehome people it disrupts the practice uh, very hard later um, so I just think it, you know identify those people and those relationships early and then figure out whether you can work with them or not I think that's and that really kind of spills over into some of the things that we end up looking at too and I think this is something that people need to understand that this is where you know personalized customized consulting comes right, in yeah. whether it's a CPA uh, a lawyer or a consultant you know that a lot of times you know we'll have conversations with people and they say like well just give us the template agreement right, yeah. like there's no such thing in our standard office. contract yeah, yeah. It's standard yeah just put the names in and press you know, press print because I mean, a lot of brokers will do that that are preparing, right. uh, preparing agreements for people. And that's where the problems come in, you know, and, mm-hmm. and when it comes to, you know, the financial due diligence, I mean, I think what a lot of people kind of stop or think they can stop at the, well, I'm paying 70% of gross, therefore it's right. a good deal. Uh, well, not, not necessarily. And, you know, because there are all these other things and, you know, other due diligence factors, but then there are also these sort of non numerical issues that you need to get your arms around. And if you are the dental focused CPA, who's looked at a bunch of deals, who works with a lot of practices, you can identify those things and see kind of what they, how they translate into, you know, problems down the road, issues that, as Jason said, can impact and disrupt the business because a disruption in the practice is a disruption in the in the cash flow and then and that's and that's really what this is all about it's a good point i want to give you guys before i forget some more of my consulting i'll get a bill at the end of how to talk to dennis the bills that uh, buy me nachos that's okay because you can say to a dentist this 
uh, would you, what would you think of a dentist who just gave out standard treatment plans for crowns? I said, I just give people the standard treatment plan. And I look at it and say, this is the standard plan, but this front tooth, uh, we, he is given a standard plan of a, of a gold crown. So you're going to start your uh, career as a rapper now because, you know, <laughs> this, it, and they would get that. And that's a good way to talk to them, Jason Rob, because what would you think of a dentist who just gave out standard treatment plans for crowns and a front tooth was treat, had a standard plan to have a gold crown? It, it works, right? It doesn't not work. And a dentist could pick through that in a second. I'd say, hey, Rob, you know. Uh, unless you're going to, or Jason, unless you're going to, you know, go on, go on tour. I don't even know the new rapper's names, but uh, I can't even, I'm, I'm throw pathetic. Throw him up in the yeah, 90s. Yeah, 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 yeah. P, P. Diddy right now, he's a mogul, right? P. Diddy does everything. I love, very admire all, that guy. All the rappers from yeah. our age are all just billionaires, yeah, 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 right? They're billionaires. Yeah, they're moguls. I want to be a mogul. I could be described as a mogul. Um, but uh, that's a key way you can go back to them and say, you would, what would you think of a dentist that did that? And they would totally get that in their world. Because, you know, there's been people say, I just kind of have this, you know, standard associate contract from Rob. And I'm like, no, to protect yourself, there isn't a standard contract. It's for my office. And I'm not going to, it's like, I don't know what, the, it's like, it's like giving someone who just started driving a car they can't handle, right? Like I'm doing them a disservice. And I just think they need to, to learn in dental school as they go through it, that all these relationships in your business life are just as critical, if not more critical than your clinical relationships. Because I say this, Jason, I don't know if you've, you've learned the, um, dental la the dental lingo, but you know, you know, the, we send stuff to labs who make our crowns, mm -hmm. right? That's a huge deal to a dentist, right? Huge relationship. I have a great relationship with my lab. If someone came to me and said, Oh, just change your lab tomorrow. I mean, it would be a huge decision, right? If we wanted to do it. And dentists will spend 10 times more on that then their business decisions when meanwhile, both labs could be good and really not disrupt your business, but the business decision could throw you off into a, a place where you can't get back from. Yeah. Well, I think it's important for people to realize too that if these certain factors, these non-economic factors are not right, you know, there you can't fix that with a contract. You know, like if you've got a bad relationship, there's no like agreement that can right. like repair yes. that. Or if you have like just a bad setup with some of the examples that Jason said in, in a transition, there's nothing we can put in the in the document that's going to fix that. Right. You know? I know. Yes. These agreements only kind of give people the you know a ticket to a lawsuit down the road if something's <laughs> yeah. not right. You know, yeah. it doesn't have this like well you know it was a bad relationship and then. Rob and his team did this agreement, and then all <laughs> yeah, oh, it's right. great after yeah. that. Like the magic, you know, that comes it, it, out that's, of that. That's said, that was good. I bet for because someone asked on my dental notches the other day, I have a PPO office and I want to turn into a fee for service practice. What can I do? And I just put a gif of Harry Potter because that's all they could do, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like you, I'll give you another thing for dentists. You'd be like, oh, uh, if I make you, a, if you're a, you made a patient a crown, could they go chew bricks or would that be a problem, right? So you guys are making good crowns or you're doing good things for people, but what happens out there in the game or the real? world is what matters yeah i think so jason i think we've kind of alluded to some of these but are there any specific things that you see that are kind of common sort of missteps or things that go wrong or mistakes that that dentists make when they're uh with with the due diligence process well i see some where they this happens more commonly uh, than I care to admit, but where they will kind of hand wave the financials. Oh yeah, we'll just use what they what the the seller is is giving us. And you know, I'm gonna say that a lot of that is this commingled mess of transactions that are discretionary in nature, and some that are buried deep of you know how, who they're paying so and so for, and and they're just not good. So 
they don't take the time to let someone like us go through and kind of rip it apart a bit and say, well, wait, that's not that's not good cash flow. That's going to go away. Uh, that's a lot more than you probably want to. Is this even correctable? And, and that that happens a lot uh, where where the the financials are just in a mess when we get, when when they get them for due diligence and they'll put a lot of effort and say, well, don't don't spend too much time piecing those together. We just want to just use the numbers that they gave you and accept them. And that, that's not going to really work long term. Um, and, and I think that problem gets good. that problem gets amplified if you have a broker involved who's also in their ear at the same time right. saying, yeah. yeah, this is fine. These numbers are good. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's absolutely oh, yeah. fine. You, know, yeah, you, you, you can show it yeah. to your CPA, but you don't really need to. And they're, they're only going to you know, find problems with it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. They're going to look closely and hopefully not have you ruin your life. Don't do that part, right? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Keep going. Uh, but uh, what, what other, uh, what are some other things, Jason, that you, that you well, say? I think it's a good one. You know, I think that uh, setting expectations early, especially in transition where you've got um, situations where you're going to have the uh, exiting dentist operate with you for some period of time, establishing what that's going to look like ahead of time. It's not a financial metric. Uh, You can very easily define what they're going to be compensated at, but really seeing how that relationship is going to work. Uh, I've seen that go very poorly in a lot of practices where um, they end up in lawsuit situations because one person expected them to do one thing and they ever verbalized that and put it in writing and the other person did whatever they were used to doing um, when they owned the practice and it just goes just terrible. Um, and I think that's, you know, again, it should be easy to do if you have the conversation with a friend, but I, get, I see a lot, the problem I see the most is trying to rush through these things. Like you have to get the deal done because if you don't, it will never, it can, it won't, it won't consummate later. Uh, the deal will go away. Someone else will get, get the practice before you do. There, there are three and, other, there are three other yeah, buyers yeah. interested in this practice. You know, yeah, don't, don't, you better like not house. rock the boat too yeah. much here. Yeah. And I, and that's where I see where people rush through the situation and they, they've got the deal struck effectively. And um, we've seen it recently where we've had ones where, uh, they didn't really articulate what was going to happen in the deal, and the way they had crafted it would have triggered hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax uh, inadvertently. And that was, we had to try and undo that part. Um, we've seen situations where um, the, there's not terms, in, you know, the lease wasn't really well documented. You don't know if they're going to be able to stay in the space because no one talked about it, or they were crafted the deal as a, stock purchase or an a- and an asset purchase simultaneously, which didn't make sense. There's just all those things where they're rushing, 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 and they've got maybe an ill-equipped person on the other the, the seller's side, and they're just pushing through very basic you know, legal contracts or the financials are just kind of shoddy, and they're just rushing because the deal can't possibly wait two weeks. Um, mm. to make sure it's good and you isolate those things. It's a lot harder, and I think you've mentioned this before, Rob, it's a lot harder to do these things retrospectively. you got to yeah. get them done before the deal commences, uh, gets going rather than um, after the fact thinking you can restate the path. You set Rob up for his best joke about the lease part, be the dental office, Rob. Tell, tell our listeners, you know, if you, if you, if the lease. With, without an office, you can't have a dental office? Yeah, you just have dental. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah I love yeah. that. Yeah, well, yeah, so. the thing that's become mobile dentistry, if that's what you're up <laughs> yeah. for, you can, you could do that, but it's, it's hard to put six 
ops in a uh, in the back of a van for sure. Yeah, I mean that that's that's crucial. We we actually have had deals where we still represent the well, we represent a landlord in a practice transition, which is kind of funny because you know it's not usually the side that we're on, but where we have a dentist that sold their practice and held the real estate. Now the the practice is flipped from from DSO to DSO. And, you know, it's amazing that, you know, it's like the day before we're getting these requests from people on just routine stuff like, you know, landlord waivers and, you know, releases and things on the assignment. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. You're closing tomorrow and you're asking us this today. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I don't, Jason, you have any small humans that live in your house? Rob's are pretty, Rob's uh, daughter's very competent. She's wonderful. But I got two that are super incompetent. They're 10 months old and almost five. And it's like when someone says, hey, are you going to we're going to make it to Rob's at 730? And I yell up to my almost five year old. Are you ready? I say, oh, text Rob. We're going to be there. And I walk up there and like she's unfamiliar with what ready is. Right. There's no clothes. There's no this. And I text Rob like we're not going to be there for a while. And that's what happens with these dentists. And I feel like I'm talking to Daphne sometimes because people will call me for buyer coaching, which is I'm do some limited oral uh, exam PA stuff. You guys don't really know what that means by basically kind of, you know, we'll talk with the dentist, even make sense, get them to people like you guys. I really enjoy it. But sometimes people will message me and go, I'd like to do your buyer coaching to find out about this practice. I said, oh, okay, that sounds good. They go, we're going to close in four weeks. I go, oh, geez. I'm like, <laughs> either don't use me at all or be ready to, to unwind it. And I, I actually feel bad for them because they've just been sort of, uh, uh, I don't know what the right term is. I mean, they've been led, misled the whole way. And um, it's hard to walk that back. So I, I'm totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I do have, I have two small humans, uh, uh, almost six year old and a three and a half year old. I've got one on the way um, that yes, it's the exact same situation. It's like this wait, No, you can't do that. Um, and I had one time years ago, a client who, in a conversation just randomly said, oh yeah, I bought a practice. <laughs> it was like, wait, what? Like you did what? And it was, you know, four months before. And they were like, I'm like, what do you mean you just bought a practice? Like we, we've talked in that four months. We talked for plenty of time before. And it's just, they just, I sometimes think that they don't, they don't need to have that coaching, but then they, these deals just are easy to, you know, yeah, you get someone to write the paperwork and you get a loan and life is good. Um, but that's the but thing, like with like the deals, like these, you know, and, and you know, everybody's heard me say this, but, you know, lenders talk about how low default rates are with dental practices and dental practice loans and, and leases. And it's so true. And, you know, so you can do something like that and, and probably not default, you know, but it's not uh, it's definitely not putting yourself in the position to succeed uh, by doing that. And there's a whole there's a, a whole lot of real estate between, you know, not defaulting and and right, succeeding yes. wildly. Yeah, you can make you can make the monthly payment on your mortgage, but still live like paycheck to paycheck and eating beans and weenies because. But you still you didn't default on your mortgage. Yeah, right. <laughs> these, are the, yeah. these are the these are the three happy. words that never. These are the three words that people say in a, a professional, personal, or any situation where you know the thing coming after it's not going to be so good. We're going to make it work, right? Yeah. So no matter oh. what that means, we're at a restaurant and we don't have enough stuff to get our kids through, but we want the margaritas. We're like, we're going to make it work. Like the other side of that, there's some stuff that's going astray, right? Yeah. Like I might be bribing <laughs> Daphne. She might be eating candy for dinner. So I'm just saying like when De- and Dennis, they'll, you'll, they'll laugh because they, sometimes we have procedures in our office where we have a crown on somebody who's gone on vacation. This happens. It's, it's not the best fitting crown. It's not the worst. And we go, you know what? I'm going to make it work. And a dentist knows when you say that, that, you know, 
it's not the ideal way to, to for something to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I love it. It's the AT and T, you know, ad campaign yeah. now. You know, it's just okay. Yeah, you know, right. and I yeah, actually yeah. I've been putting that in some of my my presentations yeah. now, a couple of those segments because I think it's hilarious. You know, yeah. I think anytime you know a dentist is watching you know TV and they see that one of those AT and T commercials on, they should really yeah. think about what you know think about that in the context of the business of their practice and are they doing it what they doing are they doing it great are they doing it you know like the guy that's never done a tattoo before (laughs) yeah Yeah. exactly well and i i feel like if you if you take the time to set up your system right and so before you you know you've got you've gone through and you've gotten it vetted by your cpa and attorney the deal you bless that and then what happens is when you're getting ready to close all you're doing at that point is setting up the, getting the rest of the system set up so it just works and the effort and the mental space that you don't have to spend later trying to fix it or piece it back together just makes so much more sense and I, we've done that with some clients uh, recently where they we've gotten them from the get-go and so we've set up their practice there in one case it was a startup and that we have right from the get-go and man, that thing just hums, and he's getting to focus, and he's killing it because he's really focusing on his craft, not trying to, you know, cut corners on cost and, and not having certain things outsourced or not being afraid to call the attorney and get them involved. He focuses on doing really good work, and he's doing financially doing really well in the process because he knows when to leverage out and not. I think Paul's term is dentist cheap yeah. uh, on things, and so I, I think that's such a yeah. It's it's just so critical to really build the system right from the get go because it is the compounding effect of good decisions on the front end uh, is significant in a medical in a dental practice. Yeah, I mean you you can't overestimate the cost of disruption right, when yeah. it, when it comes, you know, and it's just it's just the it's a magnitude that I don't think people people realize, you know, and 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 we see it. Yeah, the people that are set up right with with the right consultants and and the right systems in place they do as you said they hum you know and there are other people that are just still trying to figure it out every day you know every day reinventing the wheel and you know not only is that not uh not good from a financial standpoint man that that just drains you yeah you know like to go in every day and just try to solve another problem that you are not trained educated or experienced in you know like why would you want to do that i always say it's like weather it's like you go and solve a problem like weather but you don't even know this weather existed you're like oh it rains bricks today i didn't know i didn't know wow that's a new thing and that's just very difficult on a, on a new business owner or any business owner hey jason thanks uh thanks so much for uh for taking the time it's been uh been great uh chatting with you uh on the podcast and we've we've talked before so it's good to to uh to share some of our our dialogue the three of us have all had with uh with our listeners uh if uh people want to get in touch with you and learn more about you and your firm how uh, how can they do that uh probably best ways are check us out on our website which is elliotdavis.com or you shoot me an email it's jason.deshays at elliotdavis.com all right and that'll be up on the show notes of course if people want to uh refer to that you shouldn't write that down while you're driving if you're listening to this (laughs) podcast now they will be up on the show notes and uh you'll be able to get in touch with jason and uh thanks again for taking the time jason my pleasure guys thank you Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com 
And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.